0: You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Ryan Teyes is here. la! Good to see you, my friend. Good to see you, too. It's it's Halloween. It is Halloween. It's Halloween. It is Halloween. You can feel it. You go to horror movies and pumpkins and trick-or-treating. And I might be a little too old for trick-or-treating. You? Probably. No. But, uh, you know, I've been watching some horror movies. We're watching more than ever because it's the holiday season. You know a lot of bad ones but i uh-huh. did see a good one uh-huh. and i saw one called smile and i uh-huh. really enjoyed it and guess what i got both the leads of that movie to come next week so we will see them next week kyle Gowner and Sosie bacon yeah they were just here yeah <laughs> and i had no idea at all because i looked her up after and yeah. it was kevin bacon and uh kira sedgwick's daughter isn't that did
2: isn't that fun very
0: pretty bright fun eccentric talented actress she nailed it anyway another awesome person that you're about to listen to if you those of you who listen to the podcast and don't uh you know veer away when you don't know someone or you know this guy is is a legend to me he's a legend to many people he's a legend his name is Tom Holland not the actor Tom Holland you can see Ryan is sitting right in front of my Fright Night poster he signed it you're so cool Brewster Tom Holland he uh, did child's play created that wrote that he did uh, wrote psycho 2 um a ton of stuff the guy has done some amazing work we became friends i played tennis with him before i've gone on hikes with him i love his wife i got him to do the podcast actually he called me says i want to talk about my new book which sounds incredible but you guys are going to dig that i appreciate you listening and making this podcast the podcast you're listening to it means the world to me and it really helps out please write a review after the podcast is over after you listen to it hopefully it'll be a good review and our socials if you want to follow us which helps are
2: uh at inside of you pod on twitter at inside of you podcast on instagram and facebook you can watch on youtube you can listen anywhere uh that'd be great
0: go to the inside you online store new merch great merch whole bunch of smallville stuff signed stuff tumblers coffee mugs anything you can imagine and of course Go to sunspin.com. Any minute we should have uh, somewhere on that site with new Sunspin t-shirts for the band, uh, new Sunspin mugs, Sunspin calendars, Sunspin CDs that are going to be for order available before they come out. So you might want to get on that. Go to sunspin.com. Keep checking. And you could also book us on a Zoom. You could also book us the band. Uh, So there's a lot of fun there. I think that's it. And of course, Patreon. If you don't know what Patreon is, They really support the podcast in more ways than one. I give them shout outs at the end of every episode, the top tiers, they get packages. More importantly, they keep the show alive and uh, I couldn't do the show without them. I always say that. So thank you all patrons go to patreon.com slash inside of you and I'll send you a message after you sign up. Uh, That is pretty much it. Um, I can't wait for you guys to hear this podcast. I think uh, Tom was a lot of fun. So, Ryan, did you enjoy Tom?
2: I love good old Hollywood stories. Like good I love when the, good, when the good veteran. I don't know much about them, but I know when the veterans come in, you're going to get some stories. Yeah.
0: And they're good. Great stories. And, you know, I was surprised by a lot of things,
2: but we'll let you listen to it. Let's get inside
0: of Tom Holland. It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. I can't believe, I can't believe I'm sitting here with the Tom Holland, not the English actor Tom Holland, folks, but Tom Holland, the gifted writer and director, also actor, now novelist. <laughs> uh, you're sitting, you're the first guest to actually sit in front of his poster. I think actually Kiefer Sutherland sat right in front of his Lost Boys poster, but you are sitting in front of the <laughs> one of my favorite movies of all time it's halloween this is out halloween and this is the perfect time for it but you directed and wrote one of my favorite movies of all time and a lot of people feel this way a lot fright night
1: thank thank you thank you thank you
0: i mean it's just it's one of those movies that you watch as when i was i don't know in my teens and it's one of those movies that lasts. you could watch it again and again and it still works it's not like those movies that you watch and you're like huh i remember motel hell being kind of scary but uh i don't know it's not that great anymore and then but this is one that holds up and you've had a long career you've done a lot of stuff you look at your resume and i'm like going holy shit psycho 2 you wrote child which was a success child's play created wrote directed langoliers fright night thinner it's just like i mean you're a legend. You know that, right? You know you're a legend. You're I, one of those big directors that people look up to.
1: I did I. I did not know it. it. It started about, oh, I don't know, a long time ago, maybe. Maybe even, uh, I don't know, 16, 17 years ago. Rob G, Rob Galuzzo, if you know him. Who's that? He's a, he's a horror fan. Right. And he's, he's the first one that appeared on my doorstep, knocking on my door, because he was crazy in love with Psycho 2. And he ended up doing the uh, documentary of Psycho 2. But that was the first inkling that I had that the movies that I had done decades previously still had a life and were appreciated. Was this the way this guy showed up to your house? He showed up with another friend of his from Long Island and he wanted to do a documentary on Psycho 2. And he knew Everything about it, really? Yeah, and but he, but you know, then we we got into it, and he couldn't afford to get the the the, the photographs from the movie from Universal because they were so expensive to license, right? And I had all the Polaroids that I'd taken on set, me and Tony, me and Robert Loja, me and Vera Miles, and I let him use them in this in the in the in the documentary for free. Wait, you?
0: So you are like. It sounds to me, and I think I've been to your house a few times. We've been on hikes. I've seen your stuff. I've, I love your wife. By the way, how's she doing? Is she doing a little better?
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: she is doing better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's all right.
1: Yeah, it's all right. It's, it's all right. right. It's all right. all
0: right. I love her. She's got an attitude on her.
1: Yeah, she's got an she's attitude. Always had at this an point. attitude on her. <laughs> I
0: like her. <laughs> um, but is this something that? you always wanted to do were like were you fascinated by horror? I mean I know you acted a little bit when you were younger and you actually acted not too many years ago, but is it did you always wanna did you like the macabre, the dark, the was that always in your mind and what started all that?
1: Well it's very, very hard to describe Michael because it was such a different time. When I I was a horror fan before there were horror fans. I'm talking the late 50s. I'm taught, it's 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 Stephen King's growing up. It's pretty much the same thing. It was EC Comics. If you look at his short stories, he's doing EC Comics. EC Comics was like 1955 or 56. Then they created such a a furor that they were banned. And what happened, that of course made high school kids like me go absolutely crazy for EC Comics. And when they were banned, a, a small group—maybe four or five other guys—it was guys, not girls, in Austin Public High School started trading EC Comics under the table. And EC Comics was a horror kind e- of comic. E- e- EC Comics is like Tales of the Crypt, oh, or like Fangoria. Yeah, well, be- way before, way Van- before way Fangoria. Before Van- way before this is back in the late '50s, so it was horror was a hidden pleasure, or a, yeah, or a dangerous pleasure. And the only horror movies that were around, really, or what I grew up with, was Hammer and AIP. And AIP, American International, was ripping off Hammer. Right. But the, So I grew up with Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, you know. Uh, uh, Peter uh, Cushing, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the uh, I had lunch with Christopher Lee once, believe it or not. Really? Just after he had finished Lord of the Rings. I ended up at, a, at a, a Guy Green's house, invited. Guy Green won the Academy Award in 1947 or 48 for Great Expectations. He shot it. Wow. And there was a very active uh, British uh, community in in Hollywood, and there has been since forever. David right. Niven, etc. And they had a big party for David Lean. And Christopher and, Lee was there. And Christopher Lee was there. And it was David Lean because he was doing the he was he was doing a, a the new print of uh, of uh, Lawrence of Arabia, I think.
0: All right.
1: And so everybody was anybody in the British community was there, and I ended up at the at table with my wife and Christopher Lee. Were you starstruck? uh yes, but not as starstruck as I was when I ended up with Vincent Price. Oh. I ended you up. You ended up with Vincent Price? I ended up having dinner with Vincent Price and his wife. Was her name Coral Brown? I don't and know. at Roddy McDowell's house. Come on. And Roddy did it because I had originally written Fright Night for Vincent Price. I thought he would play, you know, with Peter. You right, know? right, yeah. right, right. And well, that's why I'm Peter Vincent. The uh, Peter Vincent, Vincent Price and Peter Cushing. And uh, I. I sat there and wanted to talk about all the great horror movies that, that Vincent Price had, had made. And all he wanted to talk about was art and the cookbook he just finished. So I couldn't get anything out of him. About really? No, no. But
0: just listening to that voice.
1: Yes,
0: yes, yes, yes. Ghouls from every tomb are there to <laughs> seal your doom. And Even though you try to, you know who that is, right? Yeah. You know that's
2: impressive. Yeah, that's the from
0: thriller. <laughs> he is. He was also in the Brady Bunch, but he did a lot of movies. He was in Waxing, the Brady Bunch? He was in an episode of the Brady Bunch years ago that you know they, I didn't know. Yeah, I think they went to Hawaii and uh, Vincent Price was was there and he was kind of this eccentric character, but yeah, he was. But he also did Wax Museum and No, he could really act. Oh man, he was great. He was no, just he, was, he had such a presence.
1: Yes, but he he could do character work too. If you go back and look at the movies in the 40s and the 50s, you could see him really working. Noir. He did noir films.
0: Right. Were your parents a little freaked out by the fact that you loved horror? Did you let it be known at a young age? Were they like going, up? Oh, Tom's a little different.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. They, they, they wrote a letter to... The first job I got was as an uh, apprentice at Bucks County Playhouse in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Wow. And uh, the man who ran it was named Ellis, Michael Ellis. And my parents wrote him a letter, which they kept. And they were saying, we think something's a little wrong with our son. He <laughs> may be a little bit different. How is he doing as an apprentice at Bus County Playhouse? Well, that was – anyway, that was – What did he
0: say? Did he write back I uh, No, say, I didn't – I don't know what he said. You don't know what he said.
1: All I saw was their letter,
0: you know. But you were always in horror movies, like into seeing horror movies and reading these magazines and whatever. That was in your world at a young age.
1: Yes, but they're, they're – they're, they're, there wasn't a fan community out there. You were just really weird and one of a tiny, tiny Seriously? minority. Yeah. And the other one was science fiction films. In the late fifties, you had you had the the horror films, which were the the Hammer films were, were highly saturated. The the color, right, and the 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 cutting and the the way they shot them were. Very standard because they had great sets. They'd gotten all these old, old houses in London, and they shot in them. They always had a wide shot to show you how great the set was first. Right. And maybe you got to over the shoulders. You very seldom got a single. And I don't know if I ever saw an insert. You know? No
0: inserts back then. Yeah,
1: no inserts back then. The, Jesus. Uh, well, so I mean, film film didn't start to change till Breathless Goddard. Who did jump cuts? I'd never seen a jump cut before in my life. The MTV style started back then with him, and that would be that would be sixties. No, late fifties, nineteen sixties. Look up Breathless, and Breathless. see when the Ryan look with, up Breathless was Jean Paul Belmondo.
0: You know what's crazy is like you went to law school. That's crazy, but but you weren't thinking of becoming a director or a writer really at this point when when you're studying law, right?
1: I wasn't seriously studying law. I was an actor. I started working very, very young. I was under contract to Warner Brothers when I was 19. And I have been a member of SAG since, oh my gosh, 1961. How, how did you get a contract with Warner Brothers at 19? I, there was, I wanted to get into film. And when I had apprenticed at, at the Bus County Playhouse... All they could tell me was various acting classes in New York. <coughs> so what I started to do was I signed up for the HB Studio on 21 Bank Street. I
0: went to HB did Studios really? in New York in the
1: nineties, U- mid nineties. Utah and Herbert Burdo. Yeah. Okay. For a year
0: I went there, HB
1: Studios. Okay, so I did I did that in like my I guess between my... Before I went to my first year of college and I got... Northwestern? I got at Northwestern? No, yeah, Northwestern. But right. I was in New York in that summer before and that's when I started to get commercials. And then after my first freshman year at Northwestern, which didn't have a film school, when I, I became an actor because there was no way to get into film. There was no way to get to Hollywood or to learn how to make films. And I just... I don't know. I was just desperate to get into film. And because there was no way in except acting, I became an actor.
0: Inside of You is brought to you by Shopify. You know I use Shopify. You guys go on the you know Inside of You online store and you see how easy it is to navigate for you. It's so amazing. Shopify, I can't think of anyone else that would do this.
2: Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify
0: helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more
2: with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because
0: businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Inside, all lowercase, shopify.com slash inside now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash inside. Inside of you is brought to you by Nutrafol. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. And look, hair thinning impacts a lot of us myself included. In fact, over half of us will experience hair thinning at some point in our lives. It's not only common, it's normal. Join over
2: 1 million people who are doing something about it with Nutrafol. Nutrafol helps support hair growth from within by targeting possible key root causes of thinning, stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and even metabolism. Does the craziness of everyday life leave you stressed and shedding? Since having kids, have
0: you started seeing a little more of your scalp? Has menopause impacted your hormones and your hairline? When it comes to thinning hair, there are many possible root causes at play and Nutrafol helps
2: address them through a multi-targeted whole body approach. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy.
0: In Nutrafol's own clinical studies, 72% of men saw more scalp coverage after taking Nutrafol men's hair growth supplement for six months. And 86% of women saw improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol women's hair growth supplement for six months.
2: While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy.
0: In Nutrafol's own clinical studies, 72% of men saw more scalp coverage after taking Nutrafol men's hair growth supplement for six months. And 86% of women saw improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol women's hair growth supplements for six months. Take their hair wellness quiz at Nutrafol.com for a personalized hair health plan based on your specific possible root
2: causes. With Nutrafol, getting help building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription or doctor's visits required, free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day. You could see results in three to six months. Take the first step to help you see visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited
0: time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter promo code INSIDE. Find out why 4,500 professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L, dot com promo code inside that's neutrafall.com promo code inside and by the way you're a good looking man you've always been a good looking man do you think some of your looks could help you out a little bit too
1: about a, about 99.9 <laughs> percent because i i came into new york after my after my first year of college at northwestern and i got a seven-year contract at warner brothers they flew me out here and jack warner himself signed me what was it like i mean
0: what when your contract ended with warner brothers what were you thinking like what do i do now or how do i am i going to still get work am i going to all that that. but what made your focus turn to directing or writing writing was really at first that what
1: started right i got in the act well i'd start i wanted to write from like i went from when i was 13 I have been trying to write short stories and then later novels and I couldn't do it. Anyway, the the uh I got into the actor studio down here on DeLongprey. And you studied with Strasbourg. Oh God, I couldn't get rid of him. Yeah. I, <laughs> really? Oh God, yeah. Wherever I ended up, you seemed to end up there. You'd do a twenty minute, you'd do you'd do a scene for twenty minutes, then he'd talk for for ninety. <laughs> you know, I mean my eyes crossed. And every, this this what year was this? It'd be like I met Stewart Stern there in 1960, was 67 through 70 or 71, I was in the actor's studio. And they had what they, and I was working production and commercials, both in front of the camera and behind the camera, and I was making enough to keep going along with the acting jobs. It was pretty tight, depending on what month it was. Some months I had comparatively a lot of money, and some months I was dead broke. And I got in the actor studio, and they had uh, something called the Playwrights' Wing. And they had writers, screenwriters. And they wrote one-act plays, and they cast them out of the studio. And I got cast in a number of those one-act plays. And I met a number of aspiring screenwriters, working screenwriters. Jim Bridges and I became friends. Uh, I can't remember. Carol Eastman, her brother, uh... It was, it was, so that's
0: how you started getting really creative in writing. Started writing. And
1: picking well, up. I what was happening was I was doing these. I was doing these plays, and the directors would say, "Okay, cross here, or do this, or that, or pick up here." And I was saying to myself, "No, uh, uh-uh, uh, you don't want to do that. It's better if you do this." And I became more and more aware that I had an instinct for directing, for staging, for making the scenes work. I can take a scene and put it on its feet. And I can get something out of it. Right. You know, somehow. And you knew that inside yourself that, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I know what I'm doing. I started to discover it. And then I had people like like, like Jim. Jim did the paper chase. The, I like the paper chase. Yeah. He, well, he le, well, he leveraged himself into directing. John Hausman. Well, John Hausman was something else, too.
0: Yeah. You I met
1: John Hausman? Yes, through Stuart Stern. I'm sorry Mr. Harlan. Uh, he almost was
0: like a Hitchcock. And
1: I kept asking you about uh about Orson Welles. Uh <laughs> all the things I've done. Good the hell. uh you know so but anyway so I realized that, that 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 I would like to direct I couldn't get in through doing commercials. No I could. If I I started to direct uh uh uh, the really inexpensive uh, children's toys commercials on the weekends. The... Uh, Tonka and shit? No, <laughs> uh, bigger than that, but I'll this think- your price? But you were directing
0: commercials for kids that were airing on TV? Yes, yeah. And were you making good money doing that?
1: No, but I was making a living. The, uh, and everybody around me who was getting a... Ch- the people around me who were getting a chance to direct drama were doing it through being successful screenwriters and leveraging themselves into an opportunity to direct, most of which they could not do. Right. But some of them, like Jim Bridges, could. And uh, that gave me hope. And I had, uh, being a nice middle-class boy, which basically I am, uh, lower middle class with aspirations to get solidly into the upper middle class, <laughs> uh... I, I started to uh, write screenplays. And I went to the—I I had been covering myself. I, I was compelled to get a college degree. My life has been sent, spent in scene study classes. There was, there's hardly anybody that I—I that I, I miss Sandy Meisner, but otherwise I studied with everybody. The best that I ever had, I thought, was— uh, it'll come to me in a second— she was married to the to the, the the group theater, Stella
0: Adler. Stella Adler. Stella Adler right. was hands
1: down the best teacher that I ever had, and I know it's it's it, it, it's it's to say, it's almost uh, uh, apostasy to say this, but Lee Strasberg bored me to tears. Bored you to shit. Oh my god! I he mean, just talked all the time. Oh god! You know, and it was it was all it was all <laughs> it was all one way. It was it was all about somehow you becoming that character. Right. It was. It was all. It was all inside. You know. The. Uh, it. It was. It was ex- emotionally exhausting. Anyway, I was lost. I graduated my undergraduate at UCLA, and I looked around, and I had just gotten dropped from from a pilot for a TV series which I th- I thought was going to change my life in Hollywood mm. and I was I felt you know really rejected and really depressed and it was hopeless and what was I doing I didn't have a degree I wasn't trained for anything else I you know I I'd have some weeks where I'd make a, a living and I'd have some weeks where I was starving starving right. yeah the uh so I thought I should get a college degree It's what your mother says to you. Well, fine, but have something to fall back (laughs) on. Right, right. And so I graduated and I looked around and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had no idea of of being able to do anything except something to do with film. So I went to UCLA Law School and I finished the first year, which is supposedly the most difficult. And I was bored to tears. Yeah. I mean, I had made a terrible mistake. A lot of things I might be able to do. I could do windows in a dress shop. You know, I could, I could, I could help design a restaurant. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I could make, I could, I could frame a picture. I could do a lot of things. But, but, you know, going through uh, being an attorney and reading contracts and uh, all of that, that was too much for me. But I started to use. I could not stop myself from being in love with film. I was. I was at Greystoke, the Doheny Mansion, in the third year that AFI was in existence, and I was there as the legal liaison from UCLA. And all I did was go to the seminars, go to the, the talks by the various directors that came in. I was. I was like I was a student at AFI. It wasn't like I was in the law and. I, I had people encouraging me to write screenplays, right? and I, I started doing it. And you know something? I got better.
0: Inside of You is brought to you by NeuroHacker, Qualia Synaletic. Let me tell you something. If you haven't tried this, you are missing out. I just sent this to my mom. I have it. I use it. for up to $100 off and use code INSIDE at checkout for an additional
2: 15% off. That's neurohacker.com slash inside for an extra 15% off your purchase. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know how
0: many times I have to talk about this, but it's so important. If you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's gonna come out and it's not gonna come out in great ways all the time. Slash inside. Inside of you is brought to you by factor. I love factor meals, Ryan. Do you know this? Yes. Why do you know this? Because I've seen them in your fridge and you've offered me some. And you've had them. And I've had them. And you love them. I do. Because I asked you every time. Mm-hmm. Um, look, I spent an enormous amount of money using delivery services for food or going grocery shopping and never eating the food that I buy or too many leftovers. And it's just I waste so much money. And you know. Factor Meals has really changed my life in a lot of ways because they have so many different meals, like 35 different meals, more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. And it takes just two minutes. So it doesn't matter how busy you are. It's two minutes to cook this stuff. You always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. And that's what Factor does. Um, I, I, I just can't get over all the things they have, like filet mignon, shrimp, blackened salmon. Um, their breakfast items, everything dessert. It's, it's perfect for my lifestyle. And I think it's perfect for a lot of lifestyles, um, Yeah, you can crush your wellness goals this May
2: with dietitian-approved meals
0: and ingredients that you can trust.
2: Keep kitchen time to a minimum. Factor meals are ready in two minutes. No shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Enjoy effortless support for your lifestyle. Choose from six menu preferences
0: to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced. Warm, sunnier days are calling, Michael. Well, yes, they are. Fuel up for them with factors no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef crafted meals with options like calorie smart, protein plus, and keto. Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. It's pretty incredible. Head to factormeals.com slash inside fifty and use code INSIDE50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code INSIDE50 at factormeals.com slash inside50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Factor Meals.
1: And I kept writing. I I got a literary agent who was sending the material, and I took the bar, and I was waiting for the results of the bar, and I sold my first screenplay. And I was like, ah. And I thought to myself, well, then I got, then I got the, the results of the bar, and I passed the bar. Oh, wow. So I was faced with the decision. I had sold one screenplay, and I have the, the copy of the check on the wall framed. How much? $1,500. It was more than I'd ever seen in one place for years. 1500 bucks in 19... 19... What would it be? Maybe 1973 or four.
0: 1974. So that's the most money you had ever seen.
1: Pretty much. So I had a choice to make in 1974 about whether or not I was going to be a lawyer or going to be a screenwriter. And I was so used to being poor and starving to death. And I knew that if I practiced law, I'd start to make a living. And one of the dangerous things about making a living is you start to live up to the up to the level of whatever money you're making. At least I had that problem. Right. The uh, So, you know, so I thought, well, I really would much rather get back into film. It's been my love all my life. And so I didn't practice law. I kept on writing screenplays. And I was working production once again in TV commercials, which is where you, it's one of the ways you get into making movies or television is through becoming a a director of TV commercials, right. even then, yeah, and I I worked for five years until initial. Well, the first one was Initiation of Sarah in 1977. It was a big TV movie. Right, it was quite a scandal. It was the first time that they that they tossed a girl in a fountain and she came out wearing a T-shirt and you saw her wet, hard nipples. Jesus! Oh my gosh! <laughs> it was on it was on the cover of the LA Sunday LA Times. That initiation of Sarah, yeah. And then I got my first movie done. Uh, the that Beast I,
0: Within? Yes, and right. I wrote
1: that in 79. It was released in 1980, and it was a success. It made money, but nobody knew because it got buried in the wreckage of the bankruptcy of United Artists. Hmm. And I spent a year out of work. Wow. An, enti- an entire year where I didn't get a job. And then I was offered a, 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 a property that nobody else in town wanted to touch because they were sure it was it was suicide.
0: Psycho two.
1: Psycho two. How did so Universal asked you to write it? Did you have a pitch prepared for it? No, they just asked you to write it. I. It was Richard Franklin, the director, the Australian director, who had the assignment, and he read a couple of screenplays of mine. And he really liked one called the Crystal Tower, and uh, he had me in, and we talked about Psycho 2. and I can't tell you how or why, but he chose me to to, to write it. Now every nobody in town wanted to do it. Oh
0: yeah, it. how do you touch it? it's a masterpiece, probably one of the best horror movies in the history of uh, cinema.
1: It, it is. It's 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 the beginning. Oh yeah, it's of, the beginning of uh, horror, really. Yeah, Real. it, it, it's 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 the it's the first. It's the first slasher that we, you know, it was so much more than that. But the, uh, and, but nobody, everybody knew they were going to get ripped by the critics for having the temerity to try. You can't win. It's a
0: winless situation.
1: And on top of that, it was a cable movie. Oak Communications, look in the credits, you'll see it. And this was just as cable is coming in and just as VHS is coming in. And, uh... Nobody wanted to do it, but I, I Richard and I talked to you. And I said, the only way you're going to get this made as a feature film is if you get Tony Perkins back to play Norman Bates. And Tony didn't want any part yeah, of it.
0: I read that. He didn't want any part of it until he read your script.
1: Well, then. So what I had to do was try to figure out how to make a piece of actor's bait that was so strong that one of, that a great movie star actor would, would say, "I can't turn it down." And Tony blamed Psycho for ruining his career because he had been a romantic lead right. before that. Shenandoah Valley, they were all uh, he'd been a star on Broadway and Look Homeward Angel.
0: And then all of a sudden he did Psycho and everybody sees him as that.
1: And that, that really put a, took, the, took the edge off of uh, being a movie star. Right. and turned him more into a character actor. So he had very mixed feelings about it. But what I wrote was one of the great, I thought, one of the great acting parts to come out in the horror genre. Because Norman starts out coming out of the mental institution, and he's sane, and he's desperately trying to hold on to his sanity. And of course, the, 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 the reliefs of his victims come back to drive him mad. And at the end of the film... He kills his own mother, and he's totally raving mad. So right. that is a hell of a character arc. Right. It
0: was It was a real- And it was a success. It was the number two movie behind Return of the Jedi that year. That's right. And that really put you on the map, didn't it? That made me. That made you. That They're made like, me. This guy did the impossible. Yes. Because without Psycho 2 being a success- they probably wouldn't have made any more.
1: You wouldn't have had the whole Psycho legacy. The Psycho You legacy. would have had none of it. You, I think there were three or four sequels to Psycho 2, and then they did at least two or three TV series. Right. And that last one was very good, uh, Bates Motel.
0: Bates Motel was incredible.
1: Yeah, I mean, so,
0: you know. But that, more importantly, got you the opportunity probably to direct, I mean, uh, pretty soon after.
1: It it gave me the visibility that if I wrote a few more scripts and they did well, that I was going to have a shot. And then I wrote Cloak and Dagger, which was a success. Yeah, it was a success. The uh, I happen to love that script. The a uh, um, Class of
0: 1984, which became a cult.
1: That became a cult hit, but at the time, that was we once again you're you're in you're in the horror genre, in the bottom of the basement. You don't at that time, and we're back. What year am I in? I'm in 19... 19- we're in uh, Psycho Two is 1982. Right. So 1982 to 84, 85, when I did Fright Night, I did I had a failure with uh Scream for Help, which is Michael Winner. I have stories about all these people. The I had uh I had Cloak and Dagger, Richard Franklin directed that. Uh and I, I had uh, class of eighty four, Mark Lester did a play. Michael J. Fox was in that, right? First movie. First, First movie, movie Michael, Michael J. Did. Fox did. Did you meet him? No, I did not. I you was not on location. That location. was a that was a Canadian tax shelter. Ah, uh, of course. The but I mean, I I think it's the best movie that Mark Lester ever did. The uh, I mean that thing works, and the actors were all just terrific. And I think a few of them are directors now. But during Cloak and
0: Daggers, when you came up with the idea for Fright Night, right?
1: What happened was uh, they came to me and they said, uh, "We want to do, we want to do, we want to do a remake of The Window." The window was the juvenile version by Cornell Woolrich of rear window Uh, and Cornell Woolrich wrote both books. Right. And it is the quintessential boy who cried wolf story. And I said, you can't do this. This is, this is just, I've seen this too many times. It's too thin, you know? And that's when I came up with the imaginary character, Jack fly. I wrote an original, basically cloak and daggers an original. And, uh, but I said, if you really want to do a kid looking out the window and seeing a murder in the house next door, and you want to make it fresh and you want to make it appealing to your younger demographic, have a kid love a horror, out of a mad horror fan, look out his window and see a vampire chomping down on the house next door. And <laughs> everybody thought I was nuts. I mean, they all thought I was crazy. Really? It's such I, a cool idea. I went in and took a meeting at Universal, Tom Mount, I think, and I couldn't convince them. I, everybody thought I was crazy. Now you gotta remember that moment in time, vampires were, excuse the expression, dead, dead, dead. The 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 vampire, the the, the vampi the, the most recent vampire movie was Love at First Bite with George Hamilton, right. which is farce. Right. When they start doing farce, it lets you know that the genre is dead. It's exhausted, it has to be reinvented. Right. It needs a breather. Uh you see that with Yeah, uh,
0: sure. I see it all I see it
1: all the time. See it all the time. And so I, I... You didn't give up. No, I couldn't get the idea out of my head because it was so delicious. Yeah. And, and really, so I sat down, I couldn't think out of, I kept saying, well, what would, what would Charlie Brewster do if he, if he had a vampire next door? Well, where, who would he go to for help? Nobody's ever going to believe him. And then I thought, of all those horror hosts that i had grown up oh, with, oh yeah, you know, Vampire, Vincent Price. Well, well, they had. I grew up with what they called the Friday Night Frights. If you wanted to find a horror movie on TV back in the like in the '60s, you had to go to Friday night, 11 o'clock on a local station. Which would have the temerity, to, you know, <laughs> right. the guts to run one, and then you always had some horrible, tacky horror host. Right. And I mean, really, they did the sets with no money, flats falling down, people who were looking. But that's stuff.
0: the only way people would know to watch this horror
1: movie. <laughs> yeah, but that. But, but they, that's where the idea spawned. Well, that's. I said, well, that's Peter if, I, if I was Charlie Brewster, I'd go to Peter Vincent. And when I had that. I couldn't get home fast enough to write. Wow. I mean, and I i don't think I've ever had an ex- writing experience like it because I was literally falling on the floor and screaming with laughter. Really? And, and pounding my feet and my hands and saying, this is so funny. I can't believe this. I'm almost, it was just, it was, I, 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 it was, it was so, so ripe with, so amusing, ripe with possibilities, so much fun. I don't know what, and what it turned out to be is a love letter to horror fans everywhere. Yeah, And, it, that's and what it is. And I think what's given the, what's given Fright Night the legs that it has is that is that horror fans recognize themselves in it. And okay, AIP and 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 and, the, and Rick, Peter Cushing and Christopher they all may be gone now, but every generation has new horror figures. Whether you know whether it's you know, whether it's Chucky or whether it's, right. uh, you know, uh, the guy, you know, with a Freddy hand. Freddie or, Freddy or yeah, Michael <laughs> Myers or whoever. Right. But. Was that, that the
0: most fun you've ever had writing a script was yeah, Fright Night? Yes. To this day. Down,
1: hands down. Yes.
0: It's one of those things that you were like, oh my God, this is brilliant. This is brilliant. Well, I'm going to sell this. I,
1: I don't know if I thought that, but I was laughing when I wrote. I mean, every every joke I told, I thought of something even funnier. You know, <laughs> were you high? Yeah, oh, no, I wasn't. I would was know. In those days, I was as straight as a, you know as a pin. The uh, well, I mean, you couldn't. You know, those were the times. Right. I mean, you're talking. You know, the eighties. Well, you're talking the the late. It started in the late seventies. You're talking about Hollywood and uh, and blow. Oh yeah. Did you, you ever do blow? We're on pub- a public airway, for God's this sake. Is,
0: this is a real story. This is like your life. It doesn't mean you do it now. I've tried blow before. I, you know, I don't do it
1: now. Yes, I, I tried. The, uh, what happened was everybody <laughs> around me was, started, doing it. was doing it. And it started. it started in the very early 70s. And by 1980, it was a snowstorm. And it was, it was, it was, it was wrecking. It was wrecking multi-million dollar pictures. Really? It wrecked.
0: People were doing it on set, all the crew. It
1: it wrecked, it wrecked uh, the Scorsese film, New York, New York. It wrecked that film that Chevy Chase did about, about the making of the Wizard of Oz with all the little, little people in it. They were so wrecked on blow. They couldn't remember. They couldn't, they couldn't hit their marks.
0: Oh my God. You know, so
1: that if you go into a meeting at a studio and the executive you we were meeting with would 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 put out a glass uh, a vase on the coffee table, and you'd sit there and discuss story in between doing lines. Seriously? Yeah, seriously. It was just that it was just part of the industry. And everybody said, "Well, it's not addicting." It's you know, I went, I went, I was working with Stuart Stern. I was writing with him when they were shooting Sybil, and Stuart wrote Sybil. Right, and. We'd be on one side of the, of the, of the set and on the, other, on the other side of the flat, Joanne Woodward and Sally Fields would be rehearsing and I would be sitting with the camera crew and all of us were doing lines. I mean, it was that pervasive. Wow. It, it, but, but nobody had yet figured out that it, was, or, that it ruined lives. Right. Nobody had yet... Caused heart attacks. No, nobody had yet... Today, or, or...
0: it's laced with fentanyl, which has killed people instantly.
1: Well, in those days, it would just ruin your septum. You'd need a nose operation.
0: Right. A lot of people probably had those.
1: Well, I, I, when I did the... When I, did, uh, when I acted... The, when I played the lead in The Young Lawyers, I, where I did a scene with... Uh, Richard Pryor? Richard Pryor. Right. Richard Pryor and I had a scene. <laughs> and I mean, oh no! Well, I went in. I went into. I, he had a he had a trailer, and he was hanging out with his. With and his you skin. snorted with him. No, what I I don't remember me doing it because I was working. But they all were. I mean, literally, you couldn't you couldn't turn around for for the late seventies through maybe the mid late. 80s It was just part of the norm. You were unaffected by it. Well, what happened was I started to make money so I could buy by the by the ounce, I think. And the, then what, <laughs> what you say to yourself is, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna sell all this, and that will pay for me to have a couple of extra grams of my own without me putting out money. <laughs> of course, what happens is you end up doing the entire ounce. Right. And then I turned around and I wasn't writing anymore. And the last line of cocaine I ever did was the summer of 1981. And I have not touched it since 1981. Wow. Because I think it's a destroyer. Yeah. I watched people wreck their lives, their careers on it. Who did you finally sell Fright Night to? Eventually sold it to Columbia, the guy McElwain. He believed in it. You pitched him. Or did he read the script? He read the script. Well, he read the script after he'd given the green light. That's funny, too. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm in pre-production on it, and he calls me desperately and says, you have to change the ending. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, I read the script. And at the ending, you have Peter Vincent turning into a vampire. They're going to hate you if you do that. You can't. You got you to end the script That's happily. a good note. That's a good note. And, I, and that's when I realized he was finally reading the script when I was in pre-production. Wow. <laughs> he, was a, he was a wonderful man, by the way. And I had met him previously. I'm, do, I'm doing Hollywood gossip, which only the insiders would and the, the <laughs> historians would possibly. I had become friends with, with, a, with, a, with, a, young, with a young woman named Lynn Guyler G-U-I-L-R-R. Uh, and her best friend was Morgan Mason. Morgan Mason was Pamela Mason's daughter. She was also James Mason's daughter. Okay, now nobody remembers probably who Pamela Mason was. She was the first iteration of you. She had a talk show on radio, and it was a huge sensation. Wow. And she was extremely sophisticated. And she had a, a salon every Sunday at her house, and her house was the one that had been built by the great silent comedian with the with the face that never showed anything.
0: Ah uh, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, you know, the, yeah, yeah. the 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 general, the car, the 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 house falling down on him, the train picking up things off the trestle by riding the train. Oh, I wish I had remember names. Anyway, she had his old house and there were phenomenal parties there with the who's who it was the who's who of the previous generation. Oh my goodness! I mean that the one experience I had with it prior, I was in a movie. I acted in a movie called *The Walk in the Spring Rain*, with Ingrid Bergman and Tony Quinn. Okay, and I couldn't believe it, and I was pinching myself all the time, saying, "Oh my gosh, that's that's Elsa from from Casablanca." I just mm-hmm. I was like, you know, I was a fan. Of course. I mean, I mean, that's what I basically have always been.
0: That's that's what I am. I mean, you can look around; you can see all the things. I, I I'm a fan. I'm a fan of horror. I'm a fan of cinema.
1: Well, you're 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 coming from Southern Indiana, up against the Ohio River. <laughs> yeah, and who even knows where that is?
0: No, 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 the odds were definitely against me. Well, I'm and from, probably a Poughkeepsie boy. They were they were against you.
1: Well, yeah, I'm from a small town across the river called Highland, New York. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, I you know, nobody Could, had anything to do with any of this. And everybody thought I was crazy. Could you believe the success when Fright Night hit? Were you stunned? I've never been able to believe my success ever. Really? Yeah, I can't, I I don't know why. I've never been able to. I mean, right now, I couldn't, I couldn't, you had to sit there in a test audience watching Psycho 2 to realize that you'd really done something. When you heard those screams, when you heard people feeling terrible for Norman. Right. You know, uh, and then then with Fright Night when you hear the laughter roll over you, you hear the screams. The biggest one I guess was was Ch- was child's play. I mean, how do you come up with a Chucky?
0: I mean, did this just come to you or you were you high one mm. night and you're like, I got this, there's this doll.
1: No, I I I have been a I've been extremely disciplined as far as narcotics or alcohol is concerned, and if anybody is out there listening who aspires to do what Michael or I have done, stay straight. Okay. Seriously. Because, well, you you take you take a hit of this hydroponic today, and it's instant stupidity. You know. I mean, <laughs> it for, is. forget writing anything. You're yeah. lucky if you can sign your own name. Yeah. The uh, okay, so that's that so no i i don't know i mean i i, I can't believe i'm here at this point in i my think life. i
0: feel the same way about you know my career. i'm like how did i do it I, I don't know how i i wasn't supposed to amount to anything i i every time i do something i'm like really they're they're hiring me really they it's always that disbelief of like you know i think our perceptions of ourselves like how did this happen it was always a dream But dreams do come true. You know, they do come true. And sometimes you have to just say, let's just go with it. After a while, you start to say, Fright Night's a success. Psycho 2's a success. Child's Play's a success. Hey,
1: my brain is working. Well, I can't believe we've come here to this, got to this point. Look, I, I, oh, you don't want to talk about all this stuff. But I mean, I just have my first novel published. Fright Night Origins. Right. It's the first of a series. And... It's, it's, uh, I can't believe it's only been a week. Today is Wednesday. So it's been a week and one day. We released it. Did the press release last Tuesday? We could go like yesterday. And I thought, well, I felt pretty good that at least we get a sampling because of the, of the Fright Night fan base. And nobody reacted. Nobody picked it up. No other horror sites mentioned what? it. No social media, nothing. So I went to bed Tuesday night and terribly disappointed. I'm past the point where I'm going to put a gun to my head. But I mean, you know, <laughs> right. but I mean, but I mean, I, I thought, well, I'm, I've really miscalculated. And this is after having spent months writing, writing the book. And I wrote it right. with, with a good friend called uh, Jack uh, Yorick. And, but there was nothing. And then I woke up Wednesday morning, and it started. And Wednesday morning, bloody disgusting, and Joe Blow picked it up. And they got it out, which it's not that it gets, it's it, it probably nothing compared to the people that are listening to us here. But for the, for the community, for the horror community, the, you know, a couple of those sites really get the word out. And they got it out. And then all of a sudden, we started to get uh, 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 terrortime.shop, shop. Everybody, I'm, I'm being shameless. Go buy the book. Go yes. buy the
0: hardcover. Fright Night Origins. If Fright. you're a horror fan, if you're a fan of Fright Night, you got to get this book. And where can they get this?
1: You can get it. You can get it at uh, terrortime.shop, or you can get it on Amazon.
0: Amazon, right? That's what Am- most Amazon.
1: If you're into one click, if you if you want it signed, you got to buy it through. Uh, through, through terrortime.shop. Let me ask you something.
0: When they make a sequel to Fright Night, which they did, and then they rebooted it with Colin Farrell, since you created that and wrote that, do you still get a nice check and do you get residuals for that or do they give you a buyout? How does that work? Mm. Oh, you're upset.
1: Well, I mean, listen, I mean, I am. I am to all of you aspiring screenwriters out there, aspiring directors and actors... They screw you financially. Hollywood rapes you. How do they do that? Because they have definitions. Oh, well, this, this is everyone. We could be talking an hour each on, on every Of course, on every, but in, in, you know. How? Because they have a definition. The profit definition is always is hardly ever gross, which is the only way you ever see anything. It's net points. Which means that they take all the expenses off before they give before they get to your profit participation, and they have it set up so the expenses are such that the movie will not ever go into profits even after 35 years. Thank you very very much, MGMUA now Amazon for Child's Play, which is still. How many millions of dollars is that still oh in the hole? How many now. sequels did that? Did that? Did and that you created create a, it? And I, yeah. Well, no. There was the the, 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 the the Dan Mancini wrote the wrote the first draft. He wrote an original screenplay. Right. And he couldn't get it done in town. And I couldn't figure out how to solve it. Left it. Came back to it. When I figured, I saw the the clown in Poltergeist reach out from under the bed. Oh, the scariest thing ever. That's right. Scariest thing ever. And what that is, is everybody is, every kid has looked around as he was falling asleep at his playthings, stacked up on the shelves and on the windowsill, and has said to himself, what if my toys come alive? And I knew that that was a, a, a premise that would appeal worldwide. And I came back, to child's play, when I thought of when I thought of the hillside strangler, the Brad Dourif part, right? And you know, before that, before that, it was it was more of a, it was, it was the, the, the the little boy. It was called Blood Buddy. The the boy made a blood buddy of the doll, and when, when he fell asleep, the doll got up and killed people like his teacher and his dentist. But you felt no sympathy for anybody. There was no bad guy, right? And. When I put the serial murderer inside a Chucky, that's when that—that's when that damn script. That was came your on. idea. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. Oh yeah. And I—I I could go on and on. But, but anyway.
0: so to this day, when you know they have a—they have a TV show, Child's Play. You don't get anything from that. No, I do not. Nothing. Zero.
1: No.
2: Any back end from the Child's Play socks that you have on? <laughs> from the merch?
1: <laughs> no, I did not have merch. Did, my lawyer did the worst deal. Any and any lawyer has ever done, I will never forgive him. If, if it's really, if I only knew now what I knew then, I never would have made the deal. Like George
0: Lucas, he was smart enough, or he thought ahead of time. I want merch, and like nobody buys Star Wars action. They, gave, they gave it could. to him. Take they, it.
1: They gave it to him because nobody bought merch. Exactly. Exactly yeah. right and he somehow kept the kept the rights. Right. See this is a long Yeah, of course. Of course I just want to but it's it's just
0: it's it's painful to hear it. Not only obviously your pain, but to hear someone who was responsible, you and a couple people for the creation of this this franchise and not receiving a dime of it after is just it's bewildering. It's, well, the,
1: the money was always there in the merchandise. That's why David Kirschner, who was the producer, did it. Because he was a he was a Maven, he was a, a merchandise maven. Right. And look at look at them. I can't imagine how many tens, if not hundreds, of millions he's made off the merchandise. Right. But that's what he did it for. Yeah. The uh so these are only I was just naive. Yeah. I'm probably still naive. But I don't But think you did okay, didn't you not? <laughs> I think you did pretty
0: damn for, well. For,
1: for a guy who was born in Vassar Hospital in Poughkeepsie, I've done incredibly well.
0: Right. I mean, you know, I and mean, you're completely, I mean, you're just, you're a, a normal guy. You, you're just a laid back, good, humble man. Of the years I've known you, it's just like, wow, this guy's just, I can hang out with this guy. And that's how I've always, you just seem like an older brother or whatever that I could just hang with and who has a lot of experience, very knowledgeable, very talented, but, and you're still going, you're, you know, that's the amazing, that's part. the amazing part. It's like, you know, I look at my mom, she's 75 and she's like, you know, she, she's already fallen. She's like, she doesn't I'm have, Sorry. Yeah, yeah, there's just a lot of stuff going on with her health. And I'm like,
1: you look great. Knock on wood. Let's knock on wood. No, I I I I spent five years dying, and I came out of it. I how how was that? Pulmonary problems. Uh, another long. But you I, had heart problems. No, I had sinus. I had I had sinus. I had consecutive sinus infections, and they discovered that I had my sinuses had polyps, and I had to do a sinus operation. But you almost I mean, died from that. Well, before that, my my oximeter, which is your breathing, was something like like eighty, and it should be ninety five, ninety six. I couldn't get a breath; I could hardly walk across a room. So, what they do? They went in and they cleaned out my sinuses. They rotor rooted my sinuses, and it, it it did help. It's helped, and that combined that with the tennis, I'm finally able to to, to breathe again. How do you get move.
0: that tested? Your sinuses, like if it's did they,
1: they they shove a camera up there up there.
0: And they could tell if you're, oh, if you Christ, got all this shit. You can see them. And they it changed your life when you figured that out and corrected it.
1: Well, yeah. Before that, what happened was I was I was sicker and sicker, and I stopped working because I didn't want to take a uh, anything you do. You have to have insurance for, and they send a the doctor your house, and all he had to do was listen to my lungs, put the stethoscope to my back, and it sounded like like the rumble of the. Of, you know, of like, like, like a hurt, an earthquake. Right. In other words, I was uninsurable. Right. And I turned everything down because I didn't want anybody to know. It had its own kind of insanity. Wow. That, that went with it. And I was afraid to to let anybody know. And so you're it,
0: risking your own life because you didn't want to seem
1: like yeah, somebody ins- would hire you. Insane, isn't it?
0: It's crazy. Yeah. Health is wealth.
1: Well, that's what your mother always said. As long as you have your health, you're wealthy. And there's hundred truth. percent there's a
0: hundred percent truth to that
1: you know and and the the do you have a caregiver with your mother
0: um she has someone she has my stepdad and uh she's going to a lot of doctors he has insurance so you know we'll see what happens i mean she's doing she's okay i don't know i i, I don't know i just know when she was she's, here, she's, I was she's back in indiana her. she's in indiana yeah so um
1: she's you know we're figuring it out we're figuring it out but um it's called practicing medicine yeah that's one of the problems if you if you have something that is routine that's easily diagnosable you're okay and they can do miracles with hearts to, with heart today of course not so much cancer yeah
0: that's that's yeah. The, that's the that, shit you can't you. figure that out and it's, if you
1: don't have something that is that is easily diagnosable you're in for what i went through which is years of going from one doctor to another, and trying this and trying that and mm-hmm. everything else. I know and, how that goes.
0: Yeah. Have you uh, ever dealt with any depression in your life? Do you get? Were you one of those guys that one of those people who are attached to a project, and when it it, it, it doesn't succeed like you thought, do you kind of go into a hole? Yes. And what would you do in the beginning? Like, what did you learn from that? Was it something that you? It kept happening, and how did you correct that? Or how, do you, how did you learn to deal with it in a healthy way?
1: I think that creating a successful piece of art, i.e. a movie, there's a lot of luck involved. People don't like to hear that, but it is. Making a movie is such a group effort, and it requires the skill and talent of so many people that you have to be blessed the actors have to have some kind of connection, some kind of charisma. The cinematographer has to arrive and not fall asleep while they're setting up a shot. The uh, The set decorator can't be behind the uh, behind the flats doing something he shouldn't. He's got to be dressing the set really well. And, and you know, I really... On and on. If everything
0: takes, doesn't come, yep. you know, the quality, I mean, if something's missing, it could create something that you know something f- will fail because of that
1: I had extraordinary luck on Fright Night and since it was the first movie that I directed I didn't know it was atypical that was a great cast mm-hmm. it's a great cinematographer great. it was I had John DeCure Sr. doing the production design I had I had I had Richard Edlin I had Steve Johnson I had Randy Cook doing the effects I'm, I mean you, I, I could just I, right. in, I inherited the Ghost, Ghostbusters crew. Wow. I inherited for Fright Night this little movie that nobody paid attention to, that everybody thought was a toss away, that they gave me because there was one slot left in the distribution and they didn't expect anything that I got, not probably because of the success of the screenplays, but because Guy McElwain knew me from Sunday salons at Pamela Mason's house. I he never said that to me, but wow. I suspect. Did you get nervous
0: when you were your first directorial debut? Were you constantly under a lot of stress and couldn't sleep and was worried you're going to get fired and all these things? Was this happening or were you confident and comfortable and hunky-dory?
1: That happened to me on Child's Play. It didn't happen to me on Fright Night.
0: So what happened on Child's Play? You, you just were really stressed out?
1: Well, I was really stressed out because you try to make a damn doll work. You know, with the with the way I wrote that script, of things that I had that you. doll do. Oh you know, yeah, <laughs> well that was a huge laugh. That was the, the biggest I mean, laugh ever. But I mean, the doll. I mean, I I nobody had ever tried to make a puppet movie of, of that of that of of that specificity and, yeah. and c- complexity. And there were a ton of shots that didn't work. There were a ton of things where you know I I'd written for the doll to do this or that, and they couldn't do it. And then I had to figure out, well, I, 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 I put them behind furniture. And, and and run them along behind furniture so we don't see the puppeteer or whatever it was. You know, it was, but it was unending. And I, I kept I was terrified we were going to show the film and the, the audience was gonna laugh at the doll. I was afraid they wouldn't believe Chucky could be murderous and be really and I, I didn't I was afraid they wouldn't believe Chucky could kill you.
0: Wow. And those
1: are huge fears because that's the entire movie. That's the entire movie. And I did not really know until the first preview. And the first preview, all of the Chucky set pieces, meaning what they would now call the kills, but all of the all of the, the things I used to build suspense, you could see that it was all working. You could see the audience had fallen in love with Chucky. And it was it was the first first one out, and after that the previews were a matter of tightening, tightening the film.
0: Did you cast Brad Dourif as the voice of Chucky after you were completed filming? Obviously. No, I, no. R- I
1: wrote it for him. You wrote it for he him. He had been the bad guy in the movie that I'd done previous to that that nobody ever asked me about called Fatal Beauty with Whoopi Goldberg. But who was doing the voice during the filming? I was.
0: So you were going "fuck you"
1: yeah. and all those things. You oh, were yeah. doing the voice. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I bet that was kind of fun. Oh, it was. It was a lot of fun. I mean, the the only thing that's kept me at all at all sane is I've tried to rehearse every movie that I've done. I think that's huge. And it it it, it I had I had a solid two weeks on Fright Night, and I was dealing with a really professional cast Oh, Roddy McDowell Chris well, Sarandon well Roddy McDowell and Chris both supported me yeah and that carried the other actors including Stephen Jeffries hey Stephen the <laughs> yeah uh, but I mean the you know the we I took and I ran that entire movie as a play on a soundstage taping out the the the, the, the rooms you know how big they were and everything else and I had Colin Higgins come down to watch it. Do you know who Colin is? Mm. Colin wrote a few things like uh, Silver Streak. Yeah. Uh, Nine to Five. Sure. Uh, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Oh, yeah. Colin was, Colin was was some kind of genius. He died early.
0: So you wanted him to be on set.
1: He came down and looked at it and told me whether or not it worked. He had also read the screenplay and gave me a few jokes. He, he could do comedies, is, is, is what Colin. He gave me the uh, the mother, the lines of the mother had. Uh, you want a uh, a tranquilizer? It was a big laugh, whatever it was. Then Sonoma, I forget what it was. <laughs> but you know, uh, I woke up from a, from a nightmare and there I was naked in a, in a in a white sail. You know, I that was right. Anyway, so Colin came down. And Colin was extremely supportive and supportive of the cast from what he'd seen. Yeah. And uh, Colin was at that moment in time, one of the top directors in Hollywood. Wow. So he was a huge, huge help and God bless Colin.
0: This is called shit talking with Tom Holland. This is my top tier patrons who get to ask questions. Uh, if you want to become a patron and support the podcast, you know, I love you I'll message you after go to patreon.com slash inside of you. Uh, this is from Raj. This is fast talk. This is uh, rapid fire. So you answer rapid fire fast. Okay. Raj, tell me about a time you struggled to get the right performance out of an actor. How did you work through it?
1: <laughs> I failed sometimes. I can't, <laughs> I don't want to name names. Uh, uh, Stephen Jeffries. Well, I just had to point him and he went, uh, I had terrible trouble on the Tampa film. Another film that nobody asked me about. <laughs> uh, what about thinner no thinner was thinner was a great experience and a terrible experience I had a wonderful actor there Robert John Burke and then I and I did I did I did I did uh rehearse that and I thought everybody was just terrific and that was a very difficult piece it's a character piece I enjoyed
0: uh, it I enjoyed thinner.
1: It wasn't too disturbing for you.
0: No, I liked it. It was. It was. It was dark. It was weird. It was. I remember seeing it in the theater. Um, but when you have trouble with an actor, do you ever raise your voice? Do you ever get mad? Do you ever lose your shit? Have you ever lost your shit, Tom Holland?
1: Yeah, a number of times, but I never lost it. I don't. Don't think I ever lost it with actors. Have you ever said,
0: "God damn it! I told you to do that." Move to
1: yeah. Well, what happens is. You, you, as, as the movie proceeds, as you get closer and closer to the end, the pressure from the studio builds on you to finish it, to cut, uh, to save money. I don't think I've ever been involved in a movie where they weren't knocking on the door in the last two or three weeks saying, Can we cut this? Can we cut that?
0: And it's just horrible. It's always stressful. You got that yeah. guy on set who's like, we got to go. We got to go. You're going to miss it. You can't do that. We got to cut this.
1: And you're always you're always ending up at magic hour with three shots left that you need and time for only one. Always. That's always. That's always.
0: always. 99 more. Do you have any recurring nightmares? If so, what do you think they stem from?
1: <laughs> Growing up. Oh, I can't answer that. Do you have that. a troubled, grow, uh, <sighs> No, I mean, I, I love I love my parents dearly, but yes, but I mean i'm i i'm I'm a little sensitive about how, how revealing personally I should be under these circumstances the room we're having a private conversation here, but six million people or whatever may be listening in. <laughs> I wish six yeah. million people were uh. listening. But this is great. This is what people want to hear. They want to hear the real you.
0: This is like you know anyway, Danny, awesome guest. Love Tom Holland. Would love to hear Tom's favorite story about working with the legendary Roddy McDowell. He's fantastic in Fright Night, as we all know. So a quick story that quick, you remember. Quick, at Roddy quick
1: story. I, I I I cast Roddy because of it because of the performance in Class of '84. If you look at that, he's terrific. Amazing. And Roddy came in to meet with me, and Roddy said, "He's the he's the lion, isn't he?" I said, "The lion." He said, yes, from Wizard of Oz. He's the the lion without a heart. He is. He has no courage and he finds his courage. And that's my image. That's brilliant. And I thought, that's brilliant. You have the part. Yes. Holy shit. I don't have any courage. (laughs) But he kind of
0: was. Peter was like that. Vincent. Well, he has
1: has the hero's journey.
0: He does. He He has to become strong. He he starts out weak and just like a facade.
1: Yes, and that's unusual. Usually that would be given to Charlie, but Charlie's the motor right. that makes it go. And if you want all the answers to why this is, buy Fright Night Origins, because I explained The but, novel,
0: get it. Yeah, you guys are yeah. going to love it. Yeah. Little Lisa, what's the scariest thing you've ever done and why'd you do it?
1: The scariest thing I've ever done in making yeah. a movie? Anything. I put... Uh, I put uh, the little person in uh, child's play. I put a body harness on him, and I had him walk a ledge five or six floors above above ground for, for the camera with him in, the chucky, in a full Chucky costume, which means he couldn't see that well. When he goes and he's, he's getting the little boy inside the insane asylum. Yeah. I mean, so I've, I've done. So you were scared at that moment like something was going to happen. Yeah, but I needed the shot. But see, <laughs> but see, but see that that that's the craziness of directing. When you when you're into directing and you're really into it, if you think you need a shot, you'll do anything for the shot. Yes, I mean it. It it. I. I it's just it, there's a, there is a, there is a ruthlessness involved that that one would never admit to for Everything. fear of being unsympathetic.
0: Everything for the art. What do you do about your? Um we're wrapping this up, but what what do you do when you're depressed? Well, we talked about that briefly, but like everything rides on this and it fails in your eyes and you get depressed. What gets you out of depression?
1: Time. A lot of time. If you look at, if you, if you were to look at my career, you can find long periods when I was down and that was because I was turning everything down.
0: What did you turn down? What were the biggest things you turned down?
1: Robocop.
0: The original
1: mistake, yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah, that uh, oh, I can't. I, more but you've than, turned
0: down a lot of stuff.
1: I turned down a whole lot of stuff.
0: Did you ever turn down something because you were you? It, it was fear based. Like I can't do this. I couldn't do that.
1: Yeah. If 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 the if the technical knowledge that was required ran beyond my expertise. I was very nervous because I would have to depend on somebody else, the effects supervisor, telling me whether or not it was possible. And the more you get into film, the less you trust people, as far as that's concerned.
0: Right. What do you... Um.
1: I love actors, by the way.
0: Yeah, I know that. Like, yeah. You can tell you love actors, yeah. and they love mm-hmm. you. I've talked to Chris Sarandon, who just admires you so much, and uh, so many actors that just love you, adore you. Um, our good friend Nick Peterson... I love Nick. Nick loves you. He loves you. Um, Do you ever tell your age? I mean, you can look online, see how old you are.
1: Yeah, of course. I I became no well known so early. I didn't lie about my age. I turned seventy nine last July.
0: Seventy nine. We're born on the same day. We July eleventh.
1: Are you really? You and
0: I have the same birthday. No kidding. Yes, we do. There's
1: got to be something in that. There's a
0: connection. That's amazing. We're both sensitive. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Get, <laughs> <laughs> very but, but at
0: 79 most people when they're 70 60s they'd be like i'm good i made a fortune i have a big house i created these huge franchises i've got money i don't need to worry i'm not doing anything else i'm retiring at 79 you just wrote a novel fright night origins that's out you guys need to get do you think that you've got another movie in you Do you think you you want to direct again or write another screenplay or do you feel the need that you have to and, and if you do are you doing it for you or are you doing it to prove yourself because you don't need to prove yourself but what is it what gets you going
1: right now i am really pissed at the accounting in hollywood i really hate the majors they all cheat you blind i have I have been. I have spent a lot of money with lawyers in the last two or three years with forensic accounting on *Fright Night* and *Child's Play*, and I'm now on the queue to be. I have to. There are so many people suing the Hollywood studios for their accounting that you have to wait two, three, four years in line before they'll before they'll take the case in court. Jesus. I mean, the I look at *Child's Play*. And I, I really forget the numbers now, but what they do is they, they charge you such a high interest rate, like 17% on whatever the unpaid amount of the debt is, so that they set it up so that the interest rate on the deficit is always growing larger and is larger than the profits coming in. It is worked out. Right. So as time goes along, the film Fright Night Child's Play Psycho 2 falls deeper into debt. Now, I figure I have made billions for Hollywood, none of which, not even the taste of which they passed on. I'll tell you a very brief story about Tony Perkins. Talking to Tony after uh, Child's Play, after... uh, Psycho 2. uh, Psycho 2 had become a huge international hit. It was going for something like a hundred million dollars worldwide, and Tony called and said, uh, "I have where's where's I have I have I have points. Where's where's where are my profit statements?" And they told him they didn't have any profits. We had done that movie for four point nine, for a little bit less than five. They made million. thirty
0: four million first weekend.
1: Yeah, and we had done it for a little less than five million. That was the actual real cost. And Universal was saying they were still in debt. And so Tony said, I'm going to sue you. And Universal, and I will not say the executive who said this, said, you do that and you will never work in Hollywood again. To Tony Perkins, he's saying this. And so Tony said, he says back, yeah, sure, until the next time you need me. Okay. Tony directed Psycho 3, and he directed it because he was so pissed off at Universal trying to short him on his profit participation. And also when he did that and they had to pay Tony his profit to participation, I got $43,000 in deferred salary. And that's Hollywood for you. If you can't sue, you're never going to see anything on the back end. That's true. Pisses me off. I wanted
0: to sue someone once.
1: Well, but no, but but if you'd you'd ever had a piece of of any of those beyond the residuals, Mm. if you'd ever had a piece of Superman, you'd be in this too. This this has been incredible. I love talking to you. Yes,
0: you can come back. Of course. Uh there's I, there's so much else to
1: to talk okay. about. You have okay. so
0: many stories. Okay,
1: a real a real quick one. All right. My father was a diagnosed manic depressive on lithium maintenance for the last 13 years of his life and he was institutionalized once. End of it. Okay, thank you very
0: much. <laughs> hang on, hang on. Um <laughs> wow you are an extraordinary man you're a super talented guy uh i love you i'm gonna come over and play tennis with you i'm gonna visit the wifey i miss her and uh this has been a real treat guys buy the book fright night origins this is this is a legend that's here with us today
1: and thank you all very much for listening and i can't tell you how terrific michael rosenbaum is (laughs) both as an actor and even more importantly as a human being you hear that guys coming from a legend Thanks, Tom. Thanks for allowing me to be inside
0: of you today. Thank you. Uh, I love it. I love it. I love hearing about like how he's not getting money for like all the sequels with Child's Play. Yeah, it sucks. Like I don't like it. I think it's <laughs> no. just horrid. And you can tell that he's obviously a little upset. It's like you put your heart and soul into something, and then your contract says, "Oh, you don't get anything." And then you know, I guess that's his lawyer's fault.
2: Oh, you you wouldn't be able if you were listening, you wouldn't be able to know. But he was wearing Chucky socks chucky socks. he's wearing chucky socks and uh i asked him like if he was getting residuals on the merch and it doesn't sound like it no <laughs> uh i love you tom
0: thanks for being here go check out his uh, new book watch fright night if you've never seen it child's play i don't know how you've not seen that one um but uh thank you guys for supporting the podcast right now it's the top tier patrons the shout outs um become a patron today Join us and support us. Can do it without you. Patreon.com slash inside you. Here are the names. Top tiers. Nancy D. Leah S. Sarah V. Little Lisa. Yukiko. Jill E. Brian H. Nico P. Robert B. Jason W. Sophie M. Kristen K. Raj C. Joshua D. Jennifer N. Stacey L. Jamal F. Janelle B. Kimberly E. Mike E. Changing
2: glasses so we can read. Yes.
0: Please Changing hold. the glasses. Oh, there we go. Well oh, done. Uh, Supremo. Uh, t- 99 more, Santiago M, Chad W, Liam P, Janine R, Maya P, Maddie S, Belinda N, Chris H, Dave H, Sheila G, Brad D, Ray H, Tabitha T, Tom N, Liliana A, Talia M, Betsy D, Chad L, Marion, Dan N, Big Stevie W, Angel M, Rhiannon C, Corey K, Dev Nexton, Michelle A, Jeremy C, Andy T, Gavinator David C, John B, Brandy D, Camille S, Joey M, Eugene, and Leah, Nikki G. Corey, Katie B, Patricia, Heather L, Megan T, Mel S, Orlando C, Caroline R, Christine S, Sarah S, Eric H, Shane R, NLR, Jeremy V, Andrew M, Zadoichi, 77, Oracle, Chris R, Karina N, Michelle D, Amanda R, Jen B, Kevin E, Stephanie K, Lena 82, jor and Billy S. Couldn't do it without you guys. Uh, it's been a real treat being here with you every week, week in, week out uh cumulus picked up the show for another year so go for another year at least and uh you know that might be it but just depends we need more listeners we need more uh you know patrons we need here we go (laughs) thanks for allowing me to be inside of each and every one of you uh from the hollywood hills in california i'm michael rosenbaum i'm ryan tayson thank you for listening watching thank you so much and of course be good to yourselves will you just be good to yourselves all right we'll see you